This episode of the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast is brought to you by Reptar Cereal. The cereal with scale. Not available at any retail grocery outlet. Nick, 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 Nickelodeon. From Nickelodeon Studios in Burbank, California, this is the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast. Welcome to the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Hector Navarro, and I've been a fan of animation my entire life. I can honestly not wait to talk to our guest. Arlene Klasky is the co-creator of the world-famous Rugrats. Along with Gabor Chupo and Paul Germain, Arlene helped bring Tommy Pickles, Chucky Finster, Angelica Pickles, and all their friends and family to television screens in the summer of 1991. And soon after that, Nickelodeon had its first massive hit show. Klasky Chupo followed up with so many great shows and four major motion pictures, all the while never losing sight of one of Nickelodeon's missions, make great kid-centric entertainment. Arlene, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Great, great. I love walking into Nickelodeon. It's like walking into a cartoon. It's like being in kindergarten. Yeah, yeah. playground. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Arlene, I was just talking about the impact that your shows have had. And I realized I am one of the people that grew up with your shows. I grew up with Rugrats, and I grew up with the Wild Thornberries, and Ah Real Monsters. And, and, and a realization that I had was, even to this day, I still say the phrase, well, it looks like everything's back to Norman. And that <laughs> comes from Rugrats. That comes from Rugrats. <laughs> What were some of your uh, artistic and creative influences growing up? My mother, I was adopted, and so my parents were old enough to be my grandparents. So when I came to my parents, um, my mom was older, and she didn't. She did, she was nervous about being a mother. Sure. So I was lucky at that time. I, I don't think people did that. Now people do that a lot with their kids, or some mm-hmm. people do, where she gave me little acting classes. She. I had little art classes, you know, when I was in kindergarten outside of school. Yeah. And I pretty much, she gave me all these extracurricular activities, like baton lessons and dancing, ballet. I wanted to be a dancer. So that was, you know, just the fact that my mom allowed me and gave me all these opportunities when I was little. I wasn't crazy about school, except for the social life. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I loved all the artistic things that, that I was allowed to do. Were you always interested in, in film and animation? Because I know early in your career you worked on um, you know, opening titles for TV shows and a lot of sort of graphic design things. I went to art school, so I was interested in fine arts and drawing and film and you know, I, I was luckily exposed to all of those those things, you know, film history and art history. So graphic design was a way for me to earn a living. But at a certain point, I felt like, you know, the page was too small for what I wanted to do, and I, and I wanted to do film. So uh, I started to do special effects animation. What was that like working on the first few years of The Simpsons, which eventually became this other huge pop culture phenomenon? Um, you know, it was... It was pretty mind-blowing. I think 
for Gabor and I, you know, we we came from an art background and and then going into TV and it was like big time TV. It was Fox. So that was the period when I was having kids. So I would go to the meetings over there and then I think I had another baby and somewhere in there, I don't know. And um, <laughs> so I went to the meetings and I was very familiar with and how we were set up at the studio for it. But it went from, you know, a very tiny studio that, you know, that was in the, uh, the Bob Clampett building. And uh, then I think we had our first, you know, we bought our first animation camera and uh, and then it grew to, you know, quite a few people. It was dealing with a big network yeah. that we yeah. never had experienced before. Mm-hmm. And um, But we were learning. It was a learning curve mm-hmm. for us. We, we, we created our own business culture mm. because we didn't have any business background. We just did it as it, as it went and once you know i used to do the the bookkeeping which was i mean i can't believe i did it because the <laughs> math was my worst subject in school so uh then we just when we grew then we started to surround our, ourselves with people that could help take over some of some of the duties because it was impossible to do everything what were some of the challenges of working with that big network like you mentioned like what were some of the things that you guys encountered it could be tough sometimes yeah. it it you know wanting to have the animation be as important as the writing but we did learn a lesson and one of it was just how important the writing is to the animation um gabor and i at that time weren't writers we you know the way that we did things was we would just do storyboards and you know talk about ideas and um you know concepts creative concepts so working with writers was it was a big leap for us a big intellectual leap for us and and we embraced it you're only a baby a baby's gotta do what a baby's gotta do uh, where did the in, in, inception for Rugrats come from? Where did that idea come from? Because it seems it's one of these ideas in cartoons that comes along every once in a while where you go, that is one of the most brilliant ideas. I cannot believe nobody has done that before. There was a period after I had my second child that I decided I just want to stay home and take care of my kids. So I stayed home for about 15 months. And during that period, Gabor wanted me to come back. But the whole time I was there there would be things that I would be working on at home and we wanted to pitch some things, some projects to Sesame Street because we thought they do very cool things and um, creative things. And so I was working on some ideas at home for that. And so um, one of them was babies and I was fascinated that, you know, my, my kids, one was, you know, 14 or 15 months and the other one was almost four, you know, if babies could speak, what would they say? And the main impetus was that we had to shut the bathroom door <laughs> so that they wouldn't try to get in the bathroom to stick his hands in the toilet. And it was just... So I was just amused during that period staying home with the kids. And I don't know, my mind thinks, you know, in characters. So I just thought if babies could speak, what what would they say? What have you done, you guys? What have you done? What do you mean, Chucky? Oh, don't think I haven't noticed, Tommy. You're all totally naked. So what's wrong with that? You can't just go around without any clothes on. Why not? Because your parents put them on you, that's why. So? Yeah, so? so? Well, they spend a lot of time putting them on you, so they must have a pretty good reason. Maybe they put them on us so we can practice taking them off. I don't think that's the reason, Tommy. I, I... 
know. When did you know that your first show for Nickelodeon, Rugrats, was going to be a massive hit, that it was a big hit? When the first um, animation takes came back, we didn't think so. <laughs> they had a lot of, um, there was a lot of mistakes and errors. And so when Gabor and I got that back, um, we, th we thought our hearts sort of sunk. And we thought, oh, my God, this looks really bad. We've got it, you know, and there, I think there were like something like 90 fixes that we had to do. Um, I, I don't know if it was, honestly, I can't remember if it was on the pilot or if it was, it was probably on one of the episodes. I, I don't really know. I think we were so busy just producing it and making it happen and having our studio grow from like, you know, five people to 200 at that time that, you know what, I don't have an answer to that. That's we were okay. so busy working. <laughs> that is usually the case with mm -hmm. people that are working on something that becomes a, like a pop culture phenomenon. It's because people are working so hard on it that there usually isn't a specific moment. Was there? Actually, there yeah. was a moment. I was driving my uh, children to school, and of course, I was reading scripts. Mm -hmm. And in the back seat, it was a carpool, and one of the little girls was telling the story of one of the episodes. And I was just flabbergasted. I thought she recognized, she knows the story. Wow! That was that was sort of a watershed moment for me. Nice. Give me my bow, Jocka. Ask me nice. Give me my bow. Say pretty please with sugar on top. Give me my bow. Say Angelica is the nicest, prettiest, best person in the whole wide world. Give me my bow. Well, if you can't be nicer than that, I guess you'll never see your dumb old ball again. <gasps> what was that like to move to a, a major motion picture? to produce the Rugrats in that world. You know, it was pretty amazing. It was pretty amazing because then we started to deal with Paramount and the whole machinery there, which was, you know, the movie posters and all the merchandising and, you know, they would bring us in. We would go to Paramount and they would bring us in and just kind of like lay out all these products, yeah. you know, with all these people coming from New York and you know, and the posters. And it was um, too much for Gabor and I to have much control over. Mm -hmm. um, and I think Paramount, that's what they do. So, you know, we would just go in and we just see, would see these toys and it was, you know, the books and the toys and the coloring books and the, you know, the posters. And it was, it was impressive. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Rugrats movie was the first animated movie that was not Disney that grossed over a hundred million dollars which is amazing mm -hmm. and I think it proves the point that you said earlier that that you guys believe that there was room for something else which I think is really beautiful mm -hmm. it's really great and then there was Rugrats in Paris the movie which was fantastic and and dealt with some uh, uh, some great story elements for Chucky and that character mm -hmm. um, Chucky I think spoke to a lot of people for their fears and anxiety and uh, but still being able to be a member of the team and still being a con confidant and a friend. Um, did you guys know that, that this character Chucky would sort of take off in that way? No. Gower drew him originally and then Peter Chung probably cleaned up the drawing and you know when we got the voice with him and then who he, who we knew when we first started he was the scaredy cat of you know the one with anxiety and f afraid of things and I think what we tried to do is like build a group of characters that was a different part of everybody's emotions yeah. you know so there was although i wouldn't say 
emotions are being a bully. But yeah. you know, there's Angelica, who was every every kid experienced, you know, uh, bully at some point, whether they experienced it often or not very often. Then there was Chucky, who represented everyone's fears. Tommy, who represented everyone's, you know, courage. Yeah. If they could muster it, or if they mustered it just naturally. So those characters, and of course there were other characters, the twins, and we didn't have any idea any of it would be successful. Yeah. Uh, but Chucky, when we got the voice, but of course, you know, what's really interesting is the voice of Chucky in English was amazing. Mm-hmm. And, but then the voice changed when it went around the world and it was like in 75 to 100 countries. Wow. So whatever it was, it was the writing, it was the look of him, it was the animation. And I think in every country they tried to emulate the original American voice. Yeah. Um, so the spirit of it. But he was very endearing. Very endearing. And I think kind of people couldn't resist him. Yeah. <laughs> Irresistible character. All they want is a real Bobby like you guys got. I want a Bobby who smiles and talks nice to me and tucks me in at night and tells me stories and who loves me. Was there ever any hesitation to see the baby characters uh, at different ages? At different was there was there ever anyone saying, "I don't know if I really want to see Dill and Tommy grown up. I don't know if I want to keep them." Babies. I think it was a question of n- nobody really knew if it would work or not, and I think if there was any hesitation on either our part or Nickelodeon's part, it was that we didn't really know. Mm-hmm. But the the fantasy of it. <laughs> You know, the fantasy of it, and, and of course, the fans thought of things like that, and if you go on online, you can see, you know, fan art of, you know, the Rugrats as teenage, or yeah. young adults, teenagers. Yeah. And I, I think the fantasy of they would be growing up with their fans, you know, was was intriguing. Yeah. Was intriguing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what kind of adults do you think that those characters grew up to be like? <laughs> well, that would be hard to know. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I'm guessing they would have some of the same characteristics as yeah. they did, you know, the emotional characteristics as they did as kids, or they would have, work, have worked really hard to bust out of that <laughs> there, you know, or they could be completely different, which could be a good angle. Did Nickelodeon come to you guys and say, we would like another show? Uh, is that how Ariel Monsters was born? Where did the idea for that show come about? That was Gabor's, you know, genius. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember if they asked us or we, we were asked to pitch things or probably, my guess is, yeah. or we wanted to. <laughs> but Gabor came up with the idea and then he worked with Peter Gaffney as writer on that. What was it like working on that show compared to sort of what lessons did you maybe learn from Rugrats that you guys took over into Our Real Monsters? Well, that would be probably a question for Gabor Mm -hmm. because that really was his show and um, I I wasn't as involved. You know, I probably, you know, overseeing, right, you know, the business aspect of it and making sure that everything got done, of course, I... I'm guessing I was executive producer on that. I yeah. can't really remember. <laughs> Thank you. I've seen some pimples in my day, but that one curdles the goo. Well, I really know how to grow a good pimple. Hey, heck of a nice pimple. It's all mine, too. That is probably the most impressive skin growth I've seen in these parts in quite some time. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Huh? 
In case people aren't aware, what goes into producing a cartoon show or executive producing a cartoon show? I mean, that seems like there is an an insane amount of tasks and things that need to be done. Uh, what is that entire experience like? Gabor and I, because because we both came from art backgrounds, and then we just we started a business right. and grew the business too. So being an executive producer, we were really creative producers. Um, and then we hired line producers and surrounded ourselves so that you know we needed lawyers, we needed everybody to have contracts, sure. we needed to do everything. Even though we weren't union, we needed to do everything by the book. And, you know, again, that was a learning curve, too. Mm-hmm. Gabor was from Hungary, so I had worked in the United States. You know, I was born here, so yeah. <laughs> I worked at different companies. And so, you know... The basic things, you know, you have to have health insurance at a certain point. And, you know, so all of it was, again, a learning curve. And yeah. and we created our own business culture. But it, it was being creative and overseeing it. At a certain point, we would, you know, we would go, Gabor and I would go from pilot to pilot. And so it was very hard to maintain the everyday details. You know, we would look at as much film that came back as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, we would try to you know, conduct in broad strokes because, and then there were details that we wanted just because that's that's the only reason we were there was was to have a creative outlet and yeah. um, to make film and art. What were some of the things that were important to you as a creative producer? Important to you guys um, that 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 was that was significant to the Klasky Shupo brand? Like, what were what were some of the things that you guys wanted to bring to your projects? Um, because Gabor was from Europe, um, even though he loved Disney, uh, and because I really, how can I, I didn't grow up wanting to be an animator. Right. Um, even though I watched animation, there just wasn't much of it around. You know, we wanted to push the boundaries. We didn't want to be, we knew we couldn't compete with Disney. Um, we respected what they did. Mm -hmm. We admired it. Uh, but that's not where we were at. We both loved um, European illustration, Japanese illustration, film. We were always trying to make things quirkier. What other people might think were ugly designs or ugly characters, yeah. we found beautiful. And it was it was because we both threw and uh, so we were just trying to do something new. Yeah, something that hadn't been done, and we felt that there was room in the world for something than the great animation studios before us. Where did the idea of rocket power come from? When I was growing up, you know, I just, I did girl stuff. I did ballet. Yeah, I, 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 I did. I do sports. They didn't even play soccer back then. They played kickball. And, yeah. Um, so I was, so when I had wound up with two boys, I just put them in every sport, you know, just yeah. they were so active. I just needed to put them somewhere where they could like kind of work out their willies. <laughs> and, you know, it's at, at a certain point they they were into, you know, skateboarding and rollerblading and surfing and it was all and, and you know, taking ice skating for hockey and it was like I would be going to all these things that I'd never really experienced before, but I saw that they were just involved in and I guess the rollerblading and the skateboarding and I just thought that this was the time to do something like that so we would go down to Venice Beach a lot because I you know of course we're in Los Angeles and they would take their bikes and their skateboards and I just thought wouldn't this be great 
to just this is what kids are into. Of course, all their friends were into the same thing too. Yeah. So, so it was sort of their world. It became my world, and yeah. to please them, you know, I you know would you know offer them the opportunity to do those things. So I thought, why not? So then we went for it. We are How important was it for you guys again to bring that authenticity? It was a very authentic show. You had Tony Hawk on there. You had you know mm-hmm. all these things that that showed again this very uh, different world that not a lot of people know mm-hmm. about. And it's totally it's a it's a whole world. You go to Venice mm-hmm. Beach and you can see all of these people skateboarding and riding their bikes mm-hmm. and everything. I mean, the fact that we could get Tony Hawk, I think he was on one of the shows, yeah. uh, was quite amazing. But again, it was it was just the business kept. Our studio kept growing, so we're not just sort of like jaw dropped, and then we just kept moving on. We didn't yeah. have time to think about it. Yeah. <laughs> Who dares to enter the hawk's nest? Uh, Mr. Hawkster, um, I'm Otto, and this is my sister Reggie, and my bros, Twist and Sam. And we, well, the news guy said that you were missing and not going to skate anymore. So I came here to talk you out of it, because you're more awesome now than you ever were. And, uh, well, we're sorry we kind of used your stuff, but we accidentally kind of had to. <laughs> Take it easy, Otto, bro. It's cool. I haven't quit skating. That's just some dumb rumor that starts up every time I decide to take a break. I love the wild thornberries, and I especially love Eliza. And I love that she was not classically beautiful, quote unquote, and but she was so beautiful at the same time. You know, mm-hmm. she was just such a lovely, lovely mm-hmm. design. Talk a little bit about some of the challenges that you guys may have faced when wanting to design mm-hmm. a character like that. Well. To Nickelodeon's credit, they finally accepted what we wanted to do with Eliza. <laughs> we wanted to to have a little girl that was not the most perfect, you know, princess. Um, we wanted her to push her, you know, her braces, her, you know, freckles, her yeah. glasses, and we thought that that was lovely. And there was some conversation back and forth. We had to tone it back somewhat. She she didn't look. She she, she was toned back to from what we <laughs> we we first wanted. But we were you know in the end we were all satisfied with uh, with how she looked. And I you know we still love that character. Absolutely, such a yeah. great character. And this was the first time you guys went to a twenty two minute format as opposed to yes. a shorter format. Yes. What were some of those challenges like? I think the challenge is, I don't recall that that was really a challenge. Mm-hmm. It might have made it easier. I, the writers perhaps liked it. It's it's hard to really remember, but it, it didn't seem, because those writers hadn't worked on the, on Rugrats, and I thought it was it was great, and I thought you, you could get deeper into the stories because there was emotional stuff going on, Absolutely. silliness and craziness yeah. at the same time. Yeah, and I think that that format also helped with the, you know, the realism of the show. Even though Eliza was um, uh, a character who had a a supernatural ability, she could talk to animals. The show was still very, very grounded in scientific accuracy for all of the animals. They weren't super cartoony, um, and I and I love that. I love that. What was it like to produce something that was was tr- trying to approach the world in a, in a bit of a more grounded way? It was awesome. It was awesome because we could do things that were, you know, there was a lot of research that went into it wherever they were for that period of episodes. I like the idea about doing something that was educational 
and also a lot of fun. Eliza, look! There it is! Wow! The Great Wall of China! Doesn't look so great to me. Are you kidding? It's 4,000 miles long. That's longer than the whole United States. Fine, but does it have a mall? Looking back on all of your animated shows, what is the thing that you're most proud of? Uh, starting an animation studio and it, keeping it afloat <laughs> and growing it beyond Gobbler's and, and my wildest dreams. Yeah. And managing to produce shows and characters uh, that actually touched people's hearts, kids' hearts, even even adults. And what's and what's really amazing is that there are so many fans now. So yeah. what we did back then was we never even thought about it in those terms. But yeah. that, you know, we get a lot of fan mail and you know phone calls and uh, from the fans just how much the shows have touched their hearts, particularly Rugrats, yeah. and how, how much it meant to them. Just growing up, it was sort of a safe place to go to. You guys must have heard so many stories like that, so many stories about people and how these shows affected them. Do you have a particular favorite fan moment, favorite fan uh, response or reaction? I do, but um, few of them, but... I don't really want to. I don't want to. I I don't want to dis. I, I don't want to discuss it because I think it's so personal. Yeah. To these these people, mm-hmm. the things that they went through, um, that I think they shared it with me privately. But some of it is, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. I'm sure that those messages uh, had a theme, which was thank you, right? Which is which is always lovely to. A uh, lots of thank you. Yeah. Lots of um, <laughs> thank you for my childhood, which is Aww. sort of a common. Thing that they say but of course you know we can't you know there's a lot of people that went into making rugrats sure. and and you know everybody seems to you know you know everybody wants to own a piece of it themselves which is 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 fair because the animators the artists the, you know the directors the producers the actors the musicians um did i leave anybody out yeah <laughs> everybody was a part of it Is there anything that you can let us know that you're working on right now? I'm working on a an app game. Oh, very cool. That um, hopefully we'll be able to get out this year. I'm working on uh, 158 uh, webisodes of a character that is part of the app game. And so hopefully we'll be launching that. Working on another adult show. I don't know how to describe it. It's not animation. Oh, great. Uh, uh, but it's comedy. And working on, yeah, my studio. We're working on an idea for a feature film. Oh, that's very exciting. Okay. That's great. That's great. Uh, Arlene, finally, if you could give advice to young people that are looking to get into the creative field, whichever field that might be, um, what kind of advice would you give? Just to go with your heart. If you want to spend the rest of your life drawing, then go for it and insist upon it and keep drawing. If you want to be a writer, keep writing and go for it. If you don't think you're going to be happy doing anything else, then you must, you must do your heart's desire. That's beautiful. That's great. I love that. Um, Yes, absolutely, young people, because that is the way that you will feel the most Norman. (laughs) It's great. Fantastic. Arlene, thank you so much for coming in today. This was lovely. I really, really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. 
Hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with Arlene Klasky as much as I did. She was absolutely a delight to talk to, but I would love to know who you want to hear in the seat across from me. So you know the drill. Find Nick Animation on social media and let him know on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, Tumblr, and Facebook. You're not going to want to miss an episode of the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast. So please come back, visit us next week on nickanimationpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts for more episodes and tons of bonus content. Thanks to the awesome crew who puts this podcast together. This podcast is produced by Jonathan Highlander, Dana Vasquez Eberhardt, Kelly Smith, Andrew Hubner. Original music by Useful Creatures. All of the incredible social media for our podcast is made by Narbe Manassians, Greg Nix. And thanks to the man who works at controls and makes me sound better than I have a right to. Manny Grava. Until next time, thanks for listening to the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast and keep watching cartoons. Cartoons.